0: Welcome in to the DNVR Rockies podcast presented to you today in a special bonus edition by Green Mountain Dental Group. Going to you live on a Saturday uh, to talk about some news so this is a little bit of a bonus podcast. We're able to do these thanks to our friends over at Green Mountain Dental Group and you know they will hook you up with a free Sonicare toothbrush when you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam. It's just few minutes outside of downtown Denver. They're huge sports fans. They'll take care of you. They'll take care of your teeth. You'll feel great and you'll get that free Sonicare toothbrush. I am your host for today all by myself running solo for uh, Patrick is out there on the road a little bit and there is news to discuss. I am your host Drew Creaseman. I'm the managing editor of DNVR Rockies and on today's episode we just have that news to discuss, there has been a roster shuffle in the organization in the last 24 hours. Jake McGee and Brian Shaw are out. Daniel Bard, Matt Kemp, and Chris Owings are in. And some of this may have come... Like, there's there's varying degrees of surprise here, right? Um, I think the writing had been on the wall... For both Shaw and McGee, once the players union had negotiated the prorated vesting options, right? So like in a one way that that's good for them, because if it had stayed the same, like they still needed to reach their, their just raw number from before for their options to vest, they were never going to reach those. That wasn't going to be possible in a 60 game season, but by doing so, and, and for those of you who aren't totally up to speed on this, basically what happened was the number of appearances that Shaw and McGee and also Wade Davis, but let's put him to the side for a moment, need to appear in for Davis's finish, uh, which is a key distinction, uh, reduced dramatically so that, and I can't remember the exact numbers now right off the top of my head, it's, it's less relevant now that they're not going to reach them. I think Brian Shaw's had gone down to 15 games, which seemed, you know, shooting, he might pitch him. 15 games that's still not a ton and they could decide to cut him after that but they 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 couldn't because his his option would vest or rather they could but they'd be on the hook for more money for next season as such with both of these players rather than spend any time uh putting them out there in the beginning of the season just to see if they can get one final spark of the numbers that looked like they could maybe emerge out of them rockies just said nope it's not gonna happen We're not going to be on the hook for these guys for next season as well. They haven't looked great. They haven't even looked good in in spring training 1.0 or in summer camp. Uh, They've stood out as being particularly poor after having been so for the last couple of years. You all know that because you watch Rockies games. And so they're... You know, while it's a surprise that they went ahead and just did it before the season, I think, because they've shown so much loyalty to these guys for so long. And, and I don't think it was necessarily based on loyalty. I think there were certain things in there as well. Little bits of the data we had talked about, you know, Brian Shaw had become much more reliable at Coors Field. That Jake McGee's biggest problem was actually more about inherited runners and, and you know, the home run ball in isolation. But his ERA was nowhere near as terrible as you might think just you know, having watched him pitch. Um, Regardless, the risks just became way too high once that negotiation had been reached. You can't let those guys' options vest. They can hurt you this year and next year. They can prevent you from going out and making changes. And now, having done this, Colorado Rockies have bought themselves two extra roster spots for the upcoming season and saved themselves, and I haven't done all of the math, but millions of dollars for... Uh, the following offseason and the ability to go out and do some things before the Nolan Arenado situation that we all know about that was kind of looming over them at the beginning of the season ever has a chance to repercolate at all because if the Rockies have a decent season and then they go out and they take the savings from Sean McGee. And here's the key point. You know, I've, I've heard some people say, so you're trusting the Rockies management to then go out and spend those savings? Well, they haven't proven they can do that yet. Now, all of of us here, you know, we, we would love to see them do that. And I would say, you know, Jeff Breidich is still a relatively young general manager. And there was a lot of data to suggest the guys he went out and got should have performed better than they did. That said, the secondary point almost isn't does he go out and spend the money absolutely correctly? Because we won't know like we didn't know with Sean McGee until they pitched right on paper they looked like good moves and if they'd have pitched to their career numbers they would have been the perfect moves to solve the exact Rockies problem that they needed solved the, the problem they still need solved they they need reliable relievers and so you know do they go out and sign more of them despite the fact that relievers are volatile and we've just seen this terrible example you know and if they don't sign relievers with this money that they've saved what do they go out and get because they've got the position guys they like so it, you know he's almost in the exact same situation, but less than that is this: can they bring in people that make Nolan Arenado think they've done the right thing? That's also a big part of this because remember it's not you know and and then they would still need to perform in the 2021 season, but certainly to avoid next off season having this problem come up again and Nolan being I'm, I'm not sure. If the organization is, is committed to winning, I want to win the World Series. I want to see them go out and get guys to help us win. If they go out and get guys, and they'll have money to do that now, they just have to be guys that Nolan Arenado likes for that to not be an issue next offseason. Then there's something valuable to that. Obviously, the most important thing ultimately is that whoever you know this money is spent on uh, help the team win baseball games. But there is that little political side of it as well. Um, and so... Patrick and I had talked about this both on-air and, and a little bit more in-depth off-air because I I think we didn't want to overstate uh, some things, but it, it seemed pretty clear that the writing was on the wall for Sean McGee. Neither of us ever believed they were going to be allowed to reach those vesting options, either in a normal 162-game season, in this truncated one, whatever it was. The Rockies were very much aware of the situation with these two guys and they were on incredibly short leashes, just as we've now learned. Um, they're not even going to have the chance to break the camp with the team. Now that's where we're, we are a little bit surprised because both Patrick and I had them being there at the start. Um, right. And then likely just almost never pitching and losing their jobs sh- shortly into the season. So this has just jumped that forward a little bit. Um, but it did open up two more spots in the bullpen and here's where we get the biggest shock of this because again Matt Kemp and Chris Owings being on the team not at all surprising if you listen to our big roster breakdown podcast from uh, several days ago at this point uh, you'll see that they were both comfortably on both my list and Patrick's list there's just almost no way for them not to be with the 30-man rosters they're basically taking everybody with major league experience um And those guys just serve obvious roles, right, where Chris Owings can be a catch-all off the bench. He plays great defense at seven different positions, has above-average speed, and occasionally can run into a fastball and hit it very far. Um, And then you've got Matt Kemp, who's his inverse, right, doesn't give you anything defensively or speed-wise or any of those other things. He's just there to rake, and he has been this summer camp. He's been hitting, he's been hitting at Coors Field, and he's been raking against left-handed pitching. That's what you want him to do. It's no real news there. Then we come to, yes, will the Daniel Bard story. And he does remind us that Daniel Bard's last MLB appearance was the day before Nolan Arenado's first MLB game. That's right. Daniel Bard, who has just been named to the Colorado Rockies roster on opening day, 35 year old righty reliever has not pitched in major league baseball since 2013, seven years ago. Um, Okay. Again, those of you who are regular listeners to the podcast heard Patrick and I now probably, I think just two days ago, more or less dismiss this as a possibility. Now I will say that was almost completely tied up in the fact that we were of the belief that Sean McGee would be breaking camp with the team. Uh, That said, Daniel Bard just sort of steps into Brian Shaw's role now, I think, as a you know, he's not going to be used a lot. It's a nice story. There's an interesting comeback here. And if he can pitch well, it'll be a great story. Um, I'm not expecting much, if anything, out of Daniel Bard. I'm, I'm just going to be completely honest with you. But this is one of those things where you do have to, I don't know if trust is the right word, but without a regular spring training And with no statistics for me to look at from his last couple of seasons and his statistics from 2013 do me no good. I'm not going to run through them for you. That would be a waste of your time. Um, So, again, I don't know if the word the right word here is trust, but it's the word I'm going to use. You have to kind of just trust that Bud Black and Scott Foster and. Steve Merriman and, and and all of these guys in charge of Mark Wiley, whoever, you know, the collective pitching um, brain trust of the Colorado Rockies that they know what they're doing. And I understand why that would be difficult for a lot of people to believe that they know what they're doing. Um, but if they see something in what he's out there delivering, because, that's all that there is, right? This is all we have are these summer camp games, a little bit of what he was doing in spring training. I know Bud Black liked him from the beginning. Bud Black does know pitching, um, and so they're they're taking kind of a flyer on this guy. and And I think it it suggests a couple of things here. One, they still want to give those younger players a little bit more seasoning time, a little more time to work in it. They like the idea of having. Uh, somebody in their bullpen who's experienced the postseason, who's not going to be rattled by the big moment, who's kind of just going to be thrilled to have this one last shot in the game. And as we've talked about before with other veterans, right, if you don't take Daniel Bard here, you just don't get him at all. You, you, you have to leave him off of your roster, which means, you know, he, he basically would just become a free agent. Um, there's a process. He pa- passed away, all, all this other stuff, but he became become a free agent. Maybe sign with somebody, maybe not. I, I really don't know. It would depend on who scouts have got their eyes on. That's all we have with Daniel Bard is what are, you know, the, the the eyeball test is it. And so if you do that and you go straight to Tinoco and Almonte and they're not ready yet or they flame out a little bit or they just struggle in general, now your plan B hasn't worked now now or your your well is your plan B in this situation with bard as plan a and those guys as plan B you get rid of bard now those guys are your plan a and now if they don't pan out you've got to go even even deeper into your depth options there where it really starts to get fuzzy where now you're talking about guys like Joe Harvey and um some guys I just really don't think are going to pan out so in a way this does protect that sort of younger core but So with uh, Bard jumping into Shaw's spot, there's really only one extra bullpen spot here, right? Jake McGee's. And that's where I do think Philip Deal, as a lefty, uh, as a guy who's shown a lot of promise, uh, as a guy who was there in spring training, pitching extraordinarily well and missing a a a ton of at-bats. And a guy who I think is just at that age and at that time in his career where he's ready to step into that. Uh, We've talked a lot about James Pazos and you know his role, and, and I still think he's the go-to lefty in this bullpen. I wrote a big article on him uh, back in spring training. If you haven't read it, I'll be sure to relink it and, and get it back out there. But this is a guy with extraordinary numbers in Seattle. Got traded to Philadelphia as a throw-in a part of something else. Philly totally screwed him up. Messed with his mechanics, turned him into a completely different kind of pitcher. His numbers got awful. They sold him to Colorado for almost nothing. Uh, And the Rockies immediately just moved him back to what he had been doing in Seattle. And it took him about four or five months for that to take effect and for him to get back to doing what he had been doing well. I guess you don't have to read the the article now if I'm just going to explain the entire thing to you. Um, And that's why his numbers at AAA with the Rockies were god awful. Because he was just, first of all, he's, he's, he's completely reworking his mechanics. And second of all, he's pitching in one of the most offensive leagues in the history of professional baseball. There was the juice ball. Uh, the PCL is already ridiculous in terms of its offensive ballparks and uh, a lot of altitude ballparks and a lot of high wind ballparks. And so the offensive numbers were just off the charts. I think Pazos had like an 850 ERA or something at AAA last year. And once he finally got his mechanics back, Rockies brought him up to Major League Baseball anyway. And he was lights out over like 40 or 50 innings for the Rockies, including pitching extraordinarily well at Coors Field. And most people noticed, uh, missed it, didn't notice at all, because at the end of a season where they had been just, just terrible and they'd finished so poorly in particular, and you know their entire starting pitching staff wasn't there. You remember, you, you were there. And so Pazos, I think, is a huge addition. Deal, I think, is a huge addition. I think there's, at least in terms of looking at, what last year's lefty relievers were capable of and what they actually accomplished. I think both um, deal and Pazos represent much higher ceilings for uh, what the Rockies have been putting out there for much of last year. And it also moves guys like Tim Collins and Ben Bowden into the conversation for that taxi squad or maybe even to make the roster if the Rockies decided that they wanted to go with 11 relievers instead of the 10 as it is I've got the bullpen lining up like this and I don't know if any of you saw my tweet because I was reading you know I was just doing my research and making sure I had some of the details down for this and I was on an article I'll go ahead and say it was on Yahoo I don't know who read it wrote it and I'm not trying to pick on anybody it happens we all do stuff like this but somebody had said you know so this This creates a huge opportunity for Bard because Wade Davis is their only proven closer. And then they've got these setup guys and Diaz and Estevez. But, you know, Bard could be that next guy. And so, of course, I tweeted out a screenshot of that right next to a picture of Scott Oberg looking like. I think you might have missed someone there. So, yes, the the best reliever that the Colorado Rockies have, despite what you may have read otherwise. And again, almost certainly an accident. I would assume the writer knows who Scott Oberg is. But I do think is the kind of mistake that's more inclined to happen toward the Rockies because people pay less attention to them, and you know, a, a player like Scott Oberg having back-to-back extraordinary seasons, uh, pitching at Coors Field, uh, even shining bright on a national stage and defeating the Chicago Cubs in Chicago, striking out the last four batters of that game, just absolutely nails and i forgotten about here, but yes, so Scott Oberg is the best reliever that the Rockies have, likely to be uh, their closer in my mind if I am interpolating correctly some of the recent comments that Bud Black gave about Wade Davis, though I do still expect Davis to get a few opportunities um, to close some games, but that's where we get back into that conversation a little bit. We'll do the rest of the bullpen in a minute. Let's talk about this situation here. Wade Davis, why didn't the Rockies do this with Wade Davis. They cut ties with Sean McGee, who were terrible. Wasn't Davis terrible? Doesn't he also have a vesting option? Why didn't they get rid of him? Fair question, person out there, who I assume is asking it. A couple things. First of all, Davis is much more of a 50-50 situation, where Sean McGee were much more 70-30 situations, right? Where you did now. 2017 actually was a pretty solid year for McGee. And you can, you can make an argument that they don't make the postseason in 2017. We saw some really, really good, important, um, timely pitching performances from Jake McGee, including a uh, save at Coors Field against the Dodgers in a big, big game. Um, Shaw, less so, right? There, there are fewer moments you can go out there and say, well, Shaw, there, there were a few. There really were. I mean, there are with anybody, but it, it's the 70-30 where you're just not getting it, and they've been there for a couple of years, and and you've got m- much more evidence of them not succeeding. Right With Wade Davis, you at least have 2018, where he did set your franchise record and saves, and while his ERA was pretty high uh, for a closer, he pitched in an, an extraordinary amount of games, and... You know, his, his losses, his blown saves tended to be big blow up things. And so th- that can skew the ERA a little bit as well. I think there's plenty of, of reasonable belief within the organization that Davis, even if he can't get back to a spot where you could trust him with those most important of innings. Look, his raw stuff is still there. Um when he locates, he gets swings and misses as well as as anybody on the staff, um, as well as a, a lot of guys in the National League. His issue is lately, especially you know last season, really been location and then the the course field issue. He's pitched better out on the road, and so people have asked questions. You know, even last year when he was terrible. Now that the Rockies have thirty guys in the bullpen, could they just pitch Wade Davis on the road? The answer to that question is yes. I don't think that they will, but they could, or they could at least extremely limit his course Field appearances, which I think we all agree would be a wise thing to do. If he does recapture Wade did because the other thing with Davis is you don't just have the one good year he had in Colorado then you've also got the eight years before that where he was one of the most wipeout relievers in all of baseball you have one bad year on Wade Davis's resume now it was terrible it was among the worst seasons in history relief pitching and so almost impressive in that way but you, you have the opportunity here. if he finishes 11 games his option will vest for next season and that's that's a little bit of a tricky risk if because you, again, it, <laughs> you have to put some faith in Bud Black here and, and, and in the Rockies front office. And I get why people are a little bit low on that. But you have to assume that if Davis is finishing and, and remember, if you if you blow a save and then your team, you know, and then somebody else, if you blow it to tie and then someone else comes back out and you go into extra innings, well, then you haven't finished the game. Right. Um, But you have to assume if he's finishing 11 games, he's pitching well and he's getting saves. Otherwise, they're not going to throw him back out there. If they use him in any other role, they can use him as much as they want. If Wade Davis is their seventh inning guy and he may end up being slightly overqualified for that job, which would be great for the Colorado Rockies, um, then you've got yourself a pretty interesting situation right because then you can sort of keep his his raw talents, his ability to get swings and misses um guys in the league still know who he is so if he's on a little bit of a heater you know and they go oh man this guy's coming in the seventh leash you know um you could end up with that situation get all the good out of him and still not have to commit to him for the future because scott oberg has emerged as Your closer. You could go the other way with it and decide, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world for Davis's option to vest if he pitches well this season. Because that means that, again, that, that makes it that much more clear that his 2019 was an aberration. It's the one bad year on his resume. They're not on the hook for a ton of money. I'd have to double check it for 2021. But you can still let that vest because you need... Two guys at the back of your bullpen. We've talked about this. Whichever one's the closer and whichever one's the fireman, you need at least two of them. And the great news for Rockies fans here is the insurance they have with Estevez and Diaz, who could fit very nicely into any of these roles. So they don't have to commit to Wade Davis for 11 saves, even if he's extraordinary. They could have him go out there for five or six save opportunities and have Scott Ober go out there for, you know, 15 to, to 20 you know who knows how many games are going to be this close and then have Estevez and Diaz pick up a couple here and there they really do have four guys with plus plus stuff and whoever's got the best location on any given night with the extra guys you've got in your bullpen it could be really interesting but for that to work the starters have to do their job as well so I think the Wade Davis scenario just became far more fascinating and and it's really good for the roster that they kept him because again, it's not just appearances. It's games finished. And the only way Wade Davis is going to, if Wade Davis, let me just put it this way. If Wade Davis finishes 11 games for your team this year, that's a great sign because that means they got a good reliever back on the roster. In addition to Oberg, Stevez, Diaz Pazos. Um, and then we're going to see what Philip deal, Tyler Kinley, uh, and some of these other guys can do. And yes, we'll, I do believe that Jeff Hoffman can fit in there somewhere. And this is going to be super fascinating to see what the Rockies do with Jeff Hoffman and Chichi Gonzalez. And I started writing an article about this. Well, I sort of started outlining an article about this. We'll see if I I follow through on it completely. But Jeff Hoffman and Chichi Gonzalez are battling each other like on several different fronts. But neither of them can really lose right now. Uh, if, they, if that makes any sense, so both of them would very much like to be named the fifth starter, where for the first two weeks of the season, first week and a half of the season that's it's gonna be a completely meaningless designation the fifth starter the Rockies aren't gonna need their fifth starter until they come back home and and until their second series at home against the Giants so they have until then to decide who that is, Jeff Hoffman or Chichi Gonzalez are I think. They're just the two guys. They faced off against each other the other day. It was great. Um, they, they they both pitched very well. Peter Lambert's out of the picture because he's not 100% healthy uh, and, and won't be for the start of the season. So, but, who, but in this season, I don't know, ask yourself this question. Would you rather be named the fifth starter or would you rather be the guy in the bullpen who's sort of the go-to catch-all dude? For uh, j- just to help you out whenever, you know, to, to eat up innings when you're up, to eat up innings when you're down, maybe to pitch some important ones, just to bridge. If, if guys aren't going to be pitching, you know, past the fifth and sixth inning, you're going to need those six sixth and seventh inning guys are going to be so important this year. And this is where I think Jeff Hoffman, if he's, especially if he loses out on the battle, which I kind of suspect that he will that the Rockies, and, and again, I'm, I'm projecting how they'll play because it's dependent on how they're going to play. But I, I see Chichi Gonzalez doing the things the Rockies really like, pitching reliably, not letting games get away from him, being a totally solid guy, not walking do's not getting a lot of swings and misses, but weak contact, fifth starter you can count on, which is just a nice thing to have, right? And then Hoffman... I, I really think if he if he took his mentality in the right direction and totally embraced it, he could say, "Well, look, they're going to throw me out of the bullpen, so here's what I'm going to do." Rather than just accepting my job at first, I, I mean, you accept your job as as the long reliever, quote unquote, as the bridge guy, whatever it is. There at first, because you can pitch multiple innings, you're stretched out, all of that's fine. But you go out there and you let it loose, young man. I would love to see Jeff Hoffman like take that 96, 97-mile-an-hour fastball and turn it into 98, 99 because he knows he's only going to be out there for two innings. Don't save your curveball, ever. I've, many, many times I have been sitting in the press box next uh, – maybe I'll – I don't think he would mind, but I won't say who. A, a person that all of you know. And, and we just – and Hoff will break off that curveball – and a great hitter will look ridiculous. And you just go, I know he can't. I, I, My baseball mind knows he can't. Well, why don't you throw that every time? And it's because, you know, guys will eventually lay off of it. Because, but over five innings, you know, or throw it 50% of the time. Well, again, guys, if they know it's coming 50% of the time, by inning three, they're looking for your curveball. If you're only pitching two innings, Who gives a damn? If you're only pitching one inning, Jeff Hoffman could come out there and throw 60 to 70% curveball, keep him honest with the fastball the other 30% of the time, put away his average slider and changeup, and just come at dudes with his raw stuff and don't have to save anything. And if he embraces that, I could see a whole new career for Jeff Hoffman as a late-inning reliever. And then the Rockies have five guys in their bullpen, who can throw at 97 miles an hour and up with the fastball and who have wicked wipe-out breaking stuff. Right? Oberg with his fastball slider, and Oberg's got a great changeup as well. Davis with his fastball sort of knuckle curve thing that he throws when he can locate that thing. Diaz fastball slider, Estevez fastball slider, and then you'd have Hoffman fastball curveball. It'd be a little different, but... Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I think it would be, I, I think he could absolutely reinvent himself as that kind of pitcher, and this would be his opportunity to do so if, and probably when he loses that job to Chi-Chi Gonzalez. Um, a few questions coming in here, uh, Ryan asking, Whatever happened to Chris Russ, And Now now I'm gonna have to remind myself this one. Uh he ended up somewhere. He definitely ended up uh somewhere and he was pitching well in the last spring training. I remember and people go, Ah, the Rockies getting rid of guys who can pitch well, but yeah, he um shoot, I'm trying to remember. Braves? I say Braves. I'll look it up, but um so Adam says for the first bit of the season, I expect Chi Chi Hoffman and Almonte all being bridge guys. And then based on performance, Chichi or Hoffman moves to the fifth starter. And, and that's what I would expect to see as well. And, you know, there is a flip side to everything that I've just said, which is why the Rockies have been hesitant to do this uh, for a long time. But objectively, Jeff Hoffman has more value to you and your organization. If he works out as a starter and if his, if what I'm suggesting here, which is that, you know, there's a mental change that needs to happen that kicks him into gear and takes him to the next level, and if it's less about, you know, dial up your fastball and let it all go, but it's really just, you know, he locks in and he gets what he needs. Jeff Hoppen, as a fifth starter who reaches his potential, is so much more valuable to your team than having a, the fifth setup guy, as I just described. I just think that the the setup guy is a more it has a higher chance of of coming true at this point. I you know I don't know that Hoffman has what it takes right now in his career to work through a lineup multiple times at the big league level. I think that's been his bugaboo, and so if you take that away from him and just let his stuff go, yeah, and he's got the 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 glasses too. That's a great reliever look, right? You you come in with the glasses. You've got the Rick Vaughn thing going. Patrick shooting some names at me from out there on the road. Not entirely sure what these are for. Ken Giles, David Robertson, Kirby Yates, Blake Train, and Sean Doolittle. Are those Jeff Hoffman comps? Sean Doolittle's a lefty, but um, yeah. Yeah. Not entirely sure what those names are for, but I'm we'll get an update on that. Oh, so I'll run through the, um, the rest of how this sets up, right? So we've got Oberg and Davis at the top. We've got Estevez and Diaz also at the top. And really those guys, it's just like a four-headed closer machine for your team. I, I really do think both Estevez and Diaz, if especially if they're pitching well and get hot, will be given opportunities to close this season. And it's even further justification for making sure that Davis doesn't get to that 11, right? Um, and Will, you're right, Hoffman should listen to Darren Holmes. Um, and, and that's another guy who found some success in the Rockies, bullpen right Holmesy. so uh wade davis was was a starter at one point these guys and and yes yes these are the guys and i see that kind of potential in jeff hoffman i absolutely do the curveball is no joke it's an extraordinary pitch he just throws it once or twice and at bat as a starter because he's not you know he doesn't you don't want to give him a ton of looks at your your best pitch you want it to still be effective in the fourth, fifth, and sixth innings, but I, yeah, I just think it's the way to go, and I've resisted it for years. Again, the value thing is is very important, a starter over a reliever, but anyway, we're, I think we're good on Hoffman now, but I do have him there on the team. I've got Chi-Chi Gonzalez there on the team. You've got uh, James Pazos and Tyler Kinley, both got, got both of them in the bullpen, and this is where, um, you know, I think it, it just rounds out with Philip Deal. And it's interesting because uh, Patrick and I had been arguing over, you know, Tinoco and Almonte, and the team said, How about some Daniel Bard? And we went, Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, sure. Why not? And, and again, it's because with Tinoco and Almonte, you have guys waiting in the wings right ready on alert five for you top gun fans boy am i getting old but you you need those guys um we talk about this a lot in baseball how in a normal season especially it was the sam hilliard thing you don't necessarily just show up on opening day with all the guys you think are the best players who can take you the farthest for the marathon um and especially if doing so requires you to get rid of other players who may help you along the way. And Daniel Bardza may help you along the way, kind of guy. Presumably, he won't be put in positions early in the season to cost the Rockies too much. You know, if they find themselves down for nothing in the fourth inning of a game, you know, the sixth game of the season, and they go, eh. We'll see, what, you know, we'll see what our offense can do. But here's a good spot. Let's see what Daniel Bard's got. And he goes out there and he gets shelled. And now the Rockies are around 8-0 in the fourth inning of this game. And you know, well, okay, it's going to be another week before we see Daniel Bard. Or, you know, maybe even that's it. You never know. In this type of season, that could be it for a guy who's he's pitched in seven years. And you just don't know versus the, these young guys who you do expect to be a part of the future of your organization. But that said rather have both I'm just this has always been there's got to be a um, a logical there's got to be a name for this the the, the sort of best bet you, you would just rather have both right remember when the argument was DFA Ian Desmond so that you can give Ryan McMahon more playing time and my argument was you don't need to do that if you want Ryan McMahon to play more play him more uh, that's a whole other conversation, but I, I I'm a firm believer that you just you you don't get rid of guys you think can help you until you absolutely have to. When you still have Almonte and Tinoco right there, and I and I, and I think those guys are the more intriguing players. You know, if I was running things, I, I like I, I got to go back to the thing about Bard. I just don't know. It's all eye test, and to some degree, I'm going to trust. Um, the the Rock, these pitching gurus, um, that they see something here in Daniel Bard. And if not, I think it's just, it doesn't matter. He's he's taking what, again, I assume were going to be few and far between appearances by Brian Shaw. And so do you think Daniel Bard's going to be worse than what Brian Shaw could have done early in the season? Probably not. And he's going to do so with much less risk because there's no chance he's going to have an option vest. Or if they cut him too close to that, then they find themselves embroiled in a battle with the union and all this other stuff. It's just no. See if Bard's got anything for a couple of times. And if he doesn't, you turn to the young guys. So it'll be interesting. And like I said, it's a great story if it works out for him. But I think the obvious big takeaway here for most of you, for most of us, just for most of the people out there, is that the era of Sean McGee. Is over the clenching uh, from Rockies fans when they enter the game, the frustration, the anger um, about some of the most ugly losses over the last couple of years. Um, you know, there's there's some I think closure here that people needed. I did send out a personal note, and and should go ahead and mention here that I very much enjoyed talking to both Jake and Brian. Uh, they were very forthcoming. They were honest. Uh, They were very giving of their time. Neither ever um, declined request for an interview uh, for one-on-one time. One of my favorite podcasts that I did in the early stages of doing this podcast was with Jake McGee and uh, him talking about making his major league debut and facing off against Derek Jeter. Uh, You know, I always thought Brian Shaw, after really tough losses, after those really bad games, uh, was far, far more gracious and level-headed uh than many relievers and starting and really pitchers in general after bad performances um can be a prickly bunch and i understand i probably wouldn't be in a great mood to talk to the media either we've had some no one's ever really really blown up on us but we've had some bad ones you know in my time there of, of guys just eating it um you know i i I don't know how you would have handled, if you were Wade Davis, those Padres games last year. I don't know if there was a way to handle it, but that was, that was rough, too. And, and Davis doesn't like coming out and talking about blown saves at all. And, it, and it's clear. It's not that anyone likes it, but, you know, Sean never, like, treated us with resentment for asking the questions he knew needed to be asked. Um, he never hid from it. He never blamed anybody else. Um, so I, you know, just, I don't think it's worth noting, but, but it's almost certainly a good thing for the competitiveness of your baseball team, that these two players are no longer there. And so, you know, It's one of those things. I I said it on Twitter. A lot of people said I am. I am loath to celebrate somebody just losing their job. Like it's just a weird thing to be like, "Yay!" You know, especially when we weren't even one hundred percent sure about what it means. And and again, I am not convinced that Daniel Bard is some fantastic addition at this point. I do think it opens up avenues. um, One avenue in the short term, and maybe a couple more down the line for young players. I am interested in Philip Deal, Jesus Tinoco, Yancy Almonte eventually Ben Bowden unless less on the Tim Collins train but I'm still curious you know all of that stuff is more interesting it's more intriguing and and, and you feel like there's possibility there uh, for somebody to to catch lightning in a bottle or to just turn out to be good right whereas with Sean McGee it just felt so inevitable it just it just felt like you know what you're going to get and what you're going to get isn't likely to be very good um Ryan, that's a great question whose decision was this Black Briditch or as a group they make all of their decisions as a group, but Jeff Briditch is the guy who signs the piece of paper he's the he's the president at the top. he vetoes decisions or doesn't you know um, ultimately, if if it's a league where we give GMs um, a great deal of blame when seasons go poorly or when signings, don't work out like these particular ones. $27 million deals for both of these guys over three years. And the Rockies got nothing out of that investment. And that's that's on him. Um, you have to accept that. That was a group decision, too. But Black signed off on that. He signed off on those pitchers. You better believe he signed off on acquiring those pitchers. And you better believe ownership weighed in as well. Dick Momford decided, yeah, okay, I'll spend the money on those guys. You've convinced me of that. But it's, it's Jeff Breidich's... Move right. He's the he's the guy, if I may, in the room. Uh, he he makes that decision, and and he made this one ultimately. And uh, so, if you, I, I guess, you want to give him credit for finally recognizing. Uh, I I don't know. Again, I think the timing on this. I I think there was reason. I think they should have played a lot less last year. But keeping them on the roster, I always thought was justifiable. But taking them off of the roster is much more justifiable. So um, good decision from Jeff Friday. At the very least, they're going to avoid the, the vesting thing, right? And that's where you do have to give them credit, especially if they can turn around and do something with that, uh, especially if it helps them on two fronts, making themselves a better baseball team and making Nolan Arenado feel like they've got a deeper commitment to winning a World Series. We will see what happens, but yeah, the, this is this is big big news for the Rockies and it's a big deal and I do think it's going to make them more competitive in the. I think also the schedule probably helped make this decision to be honest with you. I'm sure they went, well, we were gonna you know say try out a couple things early on, see if Sean McGee still have it. maybe it was not like we can't mess around. look at the, look at the beginning of the schedule. We have to take care of these teams. We've got to get it going in the first half. Because the second half of the season is just game after game after game after game against a good team, and they can't slump, they can't falter. Then uh, they've they've gotta they've gotta have it there. So, yeah, Adam, I've got ten guys in the pen. Uh, where was it? Just to wrap up for everybody: Oberg, Davis, Steves, Diaz, Pazos Kinley, Deal. Got Chichi Gonzalez. And Jesus Tinoco, though, or no, Daniel Bard, I'm sorry, that's right, That's because I I had Tinoco on on my list here, I was like, this is my old list, Um, and I don't have Daniel Bard on there, so, yeah, and and, um, I think there's going to be fluidity to that as well. I suspect that one, if not two players on that taxi squad will be um, a reliever, so that whoever falters is more or less on notice and they can just go straight to uh, one of these other guys. So here we go. It's getting real now. Um, Stick with us over this next week. We're going to have all kinds of stuff coming your way, breaking it down, getting ready for the season. We're all very, very excited that there's going to be baseball real baseball. Sounds like they're going to televise the games, uh, the exhibition games in Texas, which is pretty cool. Um, But if you haven't been able to catch those, make sure that you were following us on all the social media because we've been tweeting out video from down at Coors Field. I'll be doing that again this evening. Make sure you hit me up with all of your questions. And, uh, yeah, just continue to be absolutely awesome out there. I'll continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.